Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box podcast. My name is Andrew Frezza, and today I'm joined by my brother and business partner. Say hi. <laughs> Tony Frezza. And uh, today we're going to be talking about how to run a successful in-house competition. So we just ran our Deadly Duo in-house competition. It was our sixth annual Deadly Duo competition that we run every year at CFPB. It's a partner competition, same-sex partners, and uh, this is fresh in our minds. So we wanted to share this with you guys and also dial in our own system so we can do it even better the next time around and have a clear blueprint of how we want to really do this uh, well each time at CFPB. So just give you guys a little snapshot of, of how that competition ran at CFPB. We did it uh, on a Saturday morning. It went from about 9.15 a.m. was the first heat till about 2 p.m. in the afternoon. We were cleaned up and out of the gym by about 2.30. That We had 27 teams competing, so a total of 54 participants. We had, like I said, it was men's uh, teams of two men or teams of two women. And uh, we had an RX division and a scale division for that. Uh, we charged $80 per team, so $40 per person. We had food catered from a local meal delivery company called Fresh Meals. So they had a ton of food for us and all of our participants. And we had t-shirts and swag bags for everyone who competed. So that was where a lot of that, um, that money that they paid to do the competition went to. Um, and this year's events, just to give you guys kind of a snapshot of what those events looked like. Um, it was a total of five events, but the first four events were all done as one shot. We had like a 10 minute AMRAP of clean and jerks and bar facing burpees where the uh, weight on the bar increased every time you got back to the clean and jerks. And then we went into three two minute AMRAPs of max calorie biker, well that was the third one. It went max, max rope climbs, max double unders, and then max calorie biker. And then we went into a fifth and final event, which was after a break. And that was just a chipper of a bunch of different movements, like 60-60, 50-50, 40-40, all the way down to if teams got there, they had as many bar muscle-ups in remaining time. And that was a 16-minute AMRAP. So that's kind of what the snapshot of the whole day looked like. Um, and we wanted to kind of break down some of the things that we did with this competition, but also some of the principles of success that we've had with all of our in-house competitions. So, Tony, if you wanna kick it off with like, what's what's some of the first things that people should be thinking about with starting a competition? Um, I think one of the first things is giving people within your team kind of jobs of how to get the balls, the ball rolling. Um, you know, who's going to start reaching out to companies for the swag bags? Who's gonna start making the social media posts, the announcements for the competition coming up? Because one of the, biggest things is getting that word out early you know and and getting that word out officially so that you get your members signing up because once those members start signing up that's when it really gets real you know and you got to get that that word out there early yeah for us the earliest thing that we always do is for this particular event is the sponsorships we have to get that done i would suggest a minimum of six to eight weeks in advance for that you could go way earlier than that and start um four or five months in advance of negotiating product, trying to get winner's prizes, trying to get swag bag stuff. Uh, but that's the thing you wanna get started on first. And then I would say about four to six weeks out, you can start really dialing, dialing in signups. We found that that's close enough that people have that urgency to sign up, 
um, and, and also close enough that they can plan on being available on that particular date um, where it's, it obviously seems beneficial to sign it, get people signed up early, but people usually won't sign up until that urgency is there. Yeah, and if it's too close to the date, then people don't feel prepared for it. People want to feel like they can have the next month to like really dial in their work, you know, and, and maybe put in some extra time and, and practice. If it is a partner competition like we did, you know, they get with that person, they start doing partner workouts with that person. It makes that like month or month and a half leading up to the competition really exciting. Yeah, definitely. And, and what I found is, and this is true of any event, when we do a beach workout, when we do uh, potlucks, when we do in-house competitions, is that it's not enough to just announce it in classes. So we start all of our classes with announcements and it's great to broadcast stuff to the group as a whole, but you won't get as many people to convert and actually come to events unless you consistently talk to people individually and ask them if they wanna do it. Hey, are you planning to do Deadly Duo this year? I'm interested, but I don't have a partner. Or, you know, I thought about it, but I don't think I can do the standards. Like you're always, a lot of these people are gonna have objections that they wouldn't bring up, or they would just let kind of go by the wayside if you don't talk to them individually. And for us, we were able to put a lot of teams together because a lot of the reason people weren't signed up was they didn't have a partner. So talk to people individually, make them feel like you want them to be there at these events, and uh, you'll get a lot more people to convert and sign up. Yeah, I feel like the majority of our signups this year were <laughs> kind of put together by us um, just by asking, hey, are you interested? Okay, you know, and your men's skilled or your women's RX, like let's find you another partner in that division. Um, and setting people up from there. This this was kind of one of our lower years as far as attend, um, you know, the competitor attendance with 54. You know, in years past we've had up to 70 and 80 athletes at a time. Um, but yeah, that might be like the just uh, you know the makeup of our athletes are a little less competitive right now compared to prior years. But still, I mean, the competition is just a great way to get people involved in your community and like. Give, again, give them something to shoot for and work towards in this span of time. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the roles of having those designated roles and assigning roles, and you kind of mentioned that in the pregame leading up to the competition of like, who's your social media person, who's going to be your sponsorship person. And then I think that for us, what made this year really successful was we did it really well on the day of stuff, you know, the day before and the day of stuff, the setup and then the day of execution. And this was something we got from one of our members who actually works for the CrossFit Games doing this exact same thing. So he sat us down a couple years ago and gave us some really good suggestions for how to run an effective competition. And that was figure out all the different roles that you need uh, filled out and assign actual people to those roles. It's things that we're hopefully doing in our business we, we tend to forget to do in competitions or we think we could just kind of throw it together and make it work. We only have 20 athletes competing. We only have 50 athletes competing. Like we can, Tony and I can share these roles and make it work. And we've just found that that becomes a really stressful day and you can't really make it work. You, you tend to fall behind in the schedule. Things get a little crazy and you know, it ends up being a 12 hour day when you want it to be a six hour day. So some of the roles that you want to assign in advance is you definitely want to have a head judge and you definitely want to have a, you know, a cohort of judges that are going to work under this person. 
You don't need to have every single person figured out, but you should have some coaches and some members that have committed to judging for most or all of that day under that head judge. You're gonna need a head scorekeeper. You're gonna need someone that's gonna build out those scorecards and also keep track of the scores as they come in after each and every heat and keep it updated. You'll need an MC. You'll need a music and clock coordinator. You're gonna need someone in charge of equipment and staging. This should be someone who's not a judge that's just focused on the equipment, the staging, and the turnover between events and being ahead of the game and not just waiting till things uh, are a heat's over with before you're making those adjustments. You need someone in charge of the sponsorships like we mentioned. You need someone in charge of cleaning and day of setup. You know, if you need drinks and coolers and ice and tables, all those little things should be under someone's role. And then media is a big category as well. We had for this event, um, Tony was doing social media in addition to doing like music and clock. He was doing all of our stories. And we also have a separate media person doing photos and videos of the athletes. So these are all the roles that you should have individual people assigned to. You know, For us, we're lucky enough to have a big team to do it um, and we can assign those roles, but that's what you should be thinking about when you're, when you're creating this. Yeah, this was by far our smoothest event because we had such a big team to handle all these roles. Uh, as Andrew mentioned, I took on the music and clock as well as social media stuff. Um, but really, I didn't have to do any of the other stuff. Helped out moving the equipment a little bit, but we had people that were in charge of judges, in charge of equipment staging, and, and all that other stuff. Um, and I remember in past years, like, just dealing with score, trying to deal with scoring while doing all that. Like, I think that's the most probably underrated job, just to have someone on scoring. Because we know in the past, like, the competition ends, and you want to have a trophy presentation like then while everyone's still there and everyone's still excited not 45 minutes later after you figured out all the scores and everything yeah definitely um yeah and it, it just went super smooth for us i mean how we ran the day of is we actually did a team workout with all of our coaching staff at 6 a.m that morning so by 7 a.m we were all done with our workout we were all physically at the gym ready to set up ready to contribute and like I said, the first heat wasn't until 9.15. So we had basically two full hours with our entire team of 10 coaches to do everything we needed to do to make sure this thing ran smoothly. Um, another big principle that we've stuck to is keeping the day short and moving fast. One of the things that, it's kind of my, my uh, the reason I don't do many competitions as an athlete is like so many competitions are two days long and like by the end of the first day, I'm over it. And that's someone who's like into competing, into sports, been playing sports my whole life. Now for most of your casual people, I think after a half day, a lot of people are over it. I think after they warm up and cool down, if they do that twice in a day, they're over it. If you have to make them do it a third time, not only are you putting them at more injury risk by having them warm up and cool down three separate times, but it's just gonna be a long day that is, is not gonna make people wanna do it again in the future. And we, we want, we're like, get in, get out, let's keep it a fun day, and you still have your whole weekend to enjoy. Yeah, we've always had this model of our programming with events to have really four to five events in two separate sections, you know, because there really is no limit to the amount of scores you can come up with in a certain event. You know, we've had it in the past where one person's doing a chipper and the other is on a machine like a bike for max calories or on a rower 
and that's two scores, you know, how far you get through the chipper and how many calories you get on the machine. Um, there's just so many creative ways you can do to make a 20 minute workout, you know, three different events as we had in our first event in the Deadly Duo, we had four different scores in a span of 17, yeah, 20, 20 minutes, minutes, including 20 minutes. rest. Okay, 20 minutes, including rest. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you guys have ever remember the, uh, I remember the beast mode battle was like a competition that was really famous around the country and it was a 60 minute straight workout. It, you only had to warm up once, but it was like five or six events over the course of 60 minutes. So I think that's a really cool format and I think uh, people really enjoyed that and they, they kind of know what they're getting into. And we kind of feel like for us, that sweet spot is 60 minutes straight's a lot having someone do like 20 minutes straight, taking a two to three hour break and then 20 minutes again is really effective. And then the thing that we always try to do on the second event or the last event of the day is be able to try to fit more people per heat. So the first event of the day will usually be like the heaviest barbell lift, try to do that for people when it's when they're fresh. Maybe it's a one rep max that we might be testing. Then we usually go into like some high skill element, like this year was rope climbs and double unders. We're limited on how many ropes we have, so we can't fit as many teams in the heat. And then when we get to that last event of the day, we really want that not to drag on. So we're thinking about creating a workout in a way that we can fit eight to 10 teams in a heat. So that way we're, we're moving that day pretty fast through at the end of the day and it's not dragging out um, as people are kind of getting tired and fatigued. Yeah, also we know with those, those heats, we also know that we can have so many judges Whereas in a, something that's like an hour long, it's just ongoing and you have like stations, you may have to have 15, 20 judges for something like that. Like we know um, in our case, like we had heats of max of six in the first event and nine in the second event. We basically have this plan for 12 judges. You know, if we know we have 12 judges going into the day, we're gonna be good, you know, through all the heats. And at least for that final heat, we have some extras for that heat of nine teams. Definitely. Um, so yeah, the other the other question that a lot of you guys are probably asking is like, is running an in-house competition profitable? Um, is the goal even to make it profitable? How do we think about it? For us, the goal is not to make it profitable. Um, I just think the competition space is a really hard space in general, whether you're doing it in-house or, or outside and you know, you're, you're doing something like a Wadapalooza or Granite Games, there's a few people doing it really well. But even from my perspective, the few people that are doing it well are sort of relying on volunteers to make it a profitable event. And if everyone was really paid what they deserved along the way and you didn't have to rely on volunteers, it, it would be even harder to make a profit than it already is even with volunteers. So for us, we don't even really try to bother with that. We don't want to make it super expensive for the athletes. We want to make it where every, you know no one's going to balk at the price. It's something that the value is 100% there. Um, so some of the big costs that we're going to incur with this is things like paying out the coaches. We actually pay our coaches for the time that they're going to put in for these events. It's the media side. It's the shirts. We're paying for the shirts that go in the swag bags. We're paying for the little things that go in the swag bags. One of the things I didn't mention yet is like, when we reach out to sponsors, we do ask for free stuff. We'll tell them, hey, we have this many expected participants. We have um, this many expected judges. Um, would you be willing to contribute to either the swag bags 
or the winners. Also, we have a small budget to work with where if you're willing to work with us and, you, and you'd want to sell us product at below wholesale, we'll even pay for some of the product to fill some of these swag bags. So we allow ourselves a small budget for that as well. Um, but with this event, we had, like I said, 27 teams, 80 bucks per team. That's a little over $2,100. That quickly is getting used up by all those categories I mentioned. And that doesn't even include the extra time that Tony and I are putting into this thing. So for us, it's really about like, okay, how can we get pretty close to break even and then make this event that adds value to our members experience as a whole. Yeah. And I think like just going back to like different roles, when you have someone in a paid position to do those roles, it's way different than, you know, a volunteer like saying, Hey, you're a volunteer head of, you know, head of judging, right? That head judge is in, in charge of breaking down the WAD standards and describing the standards to the entire group of athletes, you know, just as Bosman describes the standards in open workouts. Um, you know, it, it totally brings up the whole quality of the judging. You know, you've been to plenty of competitions where you're like, oh my God, how are they allowing that person to do squats and they're barely even hitting full range of motion? Because the judge was not brief. You know, and they're just a volunteer. Whereas in our competitions, we really set the standards of our head judge is, is going to go through all the possible scenarios of what could happen and explain it to the judges and tell them what to look for. Yeah, and on, on that point, um, one, a couple points. Number one is no matter how many judges you have, you have to have a judge that's not judging a specific team in a given heat. Um, we can call that the head judge. It should be the head judge. But if you have... Uh, six people plus a head judge don't have seven teams going at once and the head judge is one of the the judges of one of those teams you need someone who has this aerial view who can sort of oversee the judges and ensure that quality control even in a competition like what we have in our in-house it's not that serious it still means a lot to have that that quality control there um Another thing I mentioned, I was going to mention, I completely just blanked on it. Um, I'll probably think of it in a second here. Um, but is there anything else that you want to mention on on judges or that aspect, Tony? Um, no. Okay. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned the open, and we we wanted to kind of talk about the open because you can use these same principles for the open, right? It might not be as elaborate, but think about the roles you're going to need for your Friday night lights or however you structure your open. Um, try to keep those same roles in place to a certain degree. And then speaking of the Open, we really like the way that they've programmed the Open in years past. Not, they're not perfect, but we feel like they do a great job of making the workouts accessible to the general public, to the average person, but also leaving room for your best athletes to separate themselves and to challenge themselves. So we wanted to talk about some of the ways we've programmed in the past, some of the things that we feel like have worked really well for us and kind of how we incorporate those different elements. So are there any examples you want to hit on first, Tony? Um, well, just like with the open and having like a Friday night lights, I think like a lot of, you don't know how many people are going to show up to that. Right. So like the organization's huge. Right. And like when we got like those walking lunges, open workouts, we're like cursing you know, CrossFit because we're like, oh man, that is a logistics nightmare. Um, but they're not trying to make our job harder. It's just that they were trying to challenge the athletes in a different way. Um, but you have to be prepared for that. The more you 
have people lined up to say, hey, look, you're in charge of staging the gym. And we're looking to have five athletes go at a time, 10 athletes go at a time, depending on what your gym can fit. You kind of, you have to know that in advance and know where those athletes are going to go so you can stick to a timeline, even if it is 20 minute workouts, you know, how, yeah. can, how can you stick to that, that timeline of having everyone go so often? Yeah, the timeline is really important and um, related to the open, but also related to our in-house competitions is setting a realistic timeline is huge. I think that's the reason most CrossFit competitions go too long or they fail in that sense is they try to set an aggressive timeline. So for us, we found that between heats, like we used to try to fit, say, oh, we could two to three minutes between heats. Now we're like five to six minutes between heats tend to air more on the side of six minutes between heats and then about 30 minutes between events. Um, we find that that's a good cadence for letting you fully reset, letting the judges figure out the scoring side of it, and then um, you know getting your, allowing, allowing yourself to regroup before between events where judges might need a break to get something to drink, they might need food. Um, it's important to give them that little bit of cushion in between and 30 minutes goes by really quick when you're talking between major events yeah um, another thing that I thought about when I meant to uh, mention on the judging side earlier was keep your standards easy right in the open you, the standards are the standards but when we do in our in-house competitions we always try to set our judges up for success so don't create crazy standards I know you want to challenge your athletes I know some of you guys are hard asses out there and you <laughs> want you know a burpee needs to look a certain way but just think about like the work is the work and it's going to happen either way. The best teams are going to separate themselves. Make it easier on your judges so there's not, you know, judges that have too much pressure on them and athletes that are pissed off with their judge for not holding a standard that was arbitrary or too much to ask of someone who has no training in this at all. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, an example this year is, like, we had partner bar-facing synchronized burpees. And we could have held a lot of standards into how you did it, how you need to do it, and you need to jump over the bar and jump the feet back. We simply said both athletes' chest needs to be on the ground at the same time. You can get over the bar, you can get up however you want, um, but as long as the chest is on the ground at the same time, it counts. It's a burpee. And there was plenty of no reps, but it allowed our judges to have one specific thing to look at rather than a million things to look at where one judge is strict and picking up on it and other judges are just letting it go because they can't uphold that standard. They're not that good to do it. Yeah, and where when you can give extra standards, do it. Like, like chest. It's it's why we see in the open chest to bar pull ups because you can clearly see when a chest hits a bar versus a chin going over a bar. I also think it's why we don't see box regular box jumps in the open, right? Because there's a lot of stuff about a box jump. Do are they opening the hips at the top? You know, are they jumping off as they open their hips at the top of a mm. box jump? Right. So there's they've found these ways like they don't have push-ups in the open anymore like because there's certain movements that it's like just don't program that or make it like make a burpee to target make a squat to a med ball like find ways to just have standards that makes it easy on your judges like you said yeah yeah we always do box jump overs exactly whenever we program because it's just it's easy you don't have to open up and you just got to get to the other side it makes it really just straightforward and simple um, so let's talk a little bit about, we, we mentioned the programming, let's talk about some of our ways we think about programming, some of the things that worked really well for us. Um, I think, you know, first off, we talked about this idea of multi-part events. Stick with that. Like you have an athlete warmed up, you have them on the floor, 
find a way to give them a one or two minute rest and then go right into the next part and um, you know figure out those ways to have multiple scores too as well I think it's cool when they finish the day and it's not just like two events but it feels like it's been five or six events because you have multiple scored pieces um, so utilize those multi-part events also aim to do things that 95% of your athletes are, are doing like it's it's going to be challenging enough just by the intensity of the day you don't have to do things that are out of their reach necessarily like some people are going to PR that day um, you can set them up for success in that way, but it doesn't have to be impossible for them to feel challenged. They're going to feel challenged because of the intensity of the day. Um, and make it safe, right? Make it safe. Don't do things that are going to get them hurt. You know, make sure you have the space to do like maximal lifts or whatever you're asking them to do, rope climbs, things that have that added element of, of safety or danger to them. Make sure that you have the, the space and um, set up to pull it off. Yeah, I think like on that like programming note, like the cream will always rise to the top. You know, again, take the opens kind of layout of how they just can test the masses and you get to do the same workout as Matt Frazier. Like you get to do the same exact workout as him. Your score won't be close to his, but you get to do the same workout as him. And how does the open do that? Like tap into that when you're looking to, to program for your athletes. Um, also, when it comes to like the, the many events in one you know, span of time, the team aspect really helps that, right? So like if this was an individual competition and we had that same programming, it'd get a little rough, right? It'd get a little scary. Rope climbs might get unsafe, right? Yeah. A two minute test of rope climbs, probably not, right? But now it's a partner competition, you've had some rest built into there you can handle a two-minute test of rope climbs, right? So it, think about those yeah, things. Yeah, think about ordered of movements. Like that was something we were thinking about is we wanted to do these three two-minute tests. We wanted rope climbs to be the first of the three because we wanted them to be a little bit more fresh when they hit this higher skill movement with a little bit of risk to it. And rather than doing it after the biker when their legs are fried, and also it's just a nice climax to the event to finish with a biker. Um, and you mentioned some of the, one of the workouts that we do that worked really well. And I want to go into some of those formats, which this is a workout that we've worked really well for us is like, if you do a chipper workout or even an AMRAP workout, have one person working on the AMRAP or the chipper and have one person working on a erg of some sort, a rower, a bike, bike or a ski. Um, and they get to switch off as much as they want between the two and it's two different scores. You have the chipper score, however far they get, and you have the, the calories on the, the erg. And that's a really cool format. Um, works great too with even opposite sex because anybody can hop on an erg and share an erg and accumulate reps on that. And it's, it's uh, gender neutral in that sense. Um, also, if your chipper has stuff like chest of our pull-ups and only one of your members on your team actually has really good chest of our pull-ups, it allows that other member to contribute really big and not you know, have both members just sitting under the bar saying, hey, who's next? Who's gonna try to pull up next? You know, you can have both teammates work and, and both team members really feel like they're contributing. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And that's that, that goes for competitions, that goes for partner workouts that you're gonna program in your normal class setting. Um, it's one of my pet peeves with the way CrossFit looks at the team competition. I don't think 
I don't think their team competition is a real team competition. I think it's like an individual competition that you happen to be doing with other people mm-hmm. um, in the sense that so much of it is synchronized now and synchronized is a team aspect. Um, and so much of it is like assigned work. Whereas to me, a team is like, if some person's strong at one thing and another person's strong at something else, you should be able to benefit from those strengths, but also be able to have to live with the weaknesses as well. Right. And I think that when you're setting up partner workouts in class, you're setting up partner workouts for an in-house competition, let people share the work however they want for the most part. Right. Like let people, if someone's really strong at rope climbs, don't make it, oh, you're going to do, you're going to do one and then the other person has to do one. Cause then the other person who's not as good just feels really bad that they don't have them or they don't have as many. The person who is good doesn't feel like they were able to utilize their full skill set to the, you know, and put it on display. And I just think it's, it's a better scenario to let people share reps as needed in the majority of cases and make it a true team where in, in a true team in any other sport, you're able to, if you're strong enough in one area, you can make potentially make up for someone's weakness. That's what a team is. Yeah, I feel like maybe I'm just seeing something that I wanted to see, but I feel like if you look at like team pictures of CrossFit Games teams over the years, they used to be more like, you could tell that guy's a strength guy and that guy's a gymnastic guy and, and or girl. Nowadays, you look at a team and they just look all the same. Right. You know, it, it doesn't happen anymore, which is fine. You know, they want to test what they want to test, but I feel like five years ago, you could have more of the specialists, you had people that were better, and then, yeah, you pick up those weaknesses for other people yeah. you know with your strengths and then they're going to pick up yours that's what a team is i think the, i think the grid was like the extreme opposite of that <laughs> and then crossfit wanted to make sure that they were anti-grid because they absolutely hate grid um <laughs> but yeah i feel like there's a nice in between of those two that's kind of blended where grid is so specialized crossfit is now you know, the best teams are going to be the best four individual athletes that happen to make up a team. You don't even have to train together necessarily that much. I mean, now that worm has that, has that added element, they love the worm as well. But again, you're still relying on your weakest person. I mean, we've seen it all Mm -hmm. the time in teams that we've followed at the games. Like it's a team thing. Synchronized workouts are a team thing, but you're still always limited by your worst person. And if that stronger person is still feeling fresh, there's nothing they can really do to help out the team. Um, except for encourage the weaker one to get back on the bar and, and start moving again. Um, some other formats that have worked uh, really well, and you guys know this from the open, is like earning those heavier weights or higher skills, right? That was our last workout this year, is only a small handful of our teams got to the bar muscle-ups. Um, and coincidentally, the ones who are fit enough to get to the bar muscle-ups tend to also be the ones that are the ones that have the bar muscle-ups, whether they're fresh or tired. Whereas the teams that don't get there don't really have them, even if they got there. So it ends up working out pretty conveniently, and that's typically how the open works as well. Um, one thing that one workout that worked out really well for us one year is we've mentioned like the two minute AMRAPs, two minute AMRAP rope climbs, two minute AMRAP biker. We did one one year which was really cool, which is like a two minute AMRAP of pull ups, but athletes had the option to do either chin over bar pull ups, chest to bar, and ring muscle ups or bar muscle ups and they were just weighted differently so you could choose whatever movement you want to do and this works really well for like in our better half battle where we have 
opposite sex pairs. You could have one really good male athlete with one really good female athlete, but another team could be the opposite. They have a great female athlete and not a good male athlete. To even the playing field is have choices, like literally let them choose what movement they want to do, but just weight it differently where if you have, if you are really proficient at muscle ups, you can rack up more points or most people will be like somewhere in between on that. I remember we had a fun one um, that actually we got to participate in. This was years back, back when the coaches would actually be in them. Um, and Shannon and I did a thruster one where you got to pick your weight and it was three minutes max uh, thruster weight thrustered. Yeah. <laughs> right? But it was kind of like strategy, like how much would you pick? How much would you put on the bar? Because if you put 135 on the bar, you knew you'd only get you know so many at a time. But then you're like, oh man, if I put 95 on the bar, I crank them out. But my partner has to go as well in this three minute span and we gotta have you know as many weights, as many reps, like how are we gonna work that out? So it was just cool with the strategy of like seeing who was gonna pick what weight and the, the game planning of how, long, how many reps would you do? How long would you go for? Yeah. Um, stuff to like make, make your uh, athletes involve strategy like that. Yeah, we did another one too. I remember this was a finisher to one of our better half battles where it was a chipper. It was like 50 reps of a bunch of different movements and you get to choose which movement you start with and which order you can go in. So literally you can go in any order, you can start with any movement. And this was a way, we had like 12 movements you could choose from. And this was a way for us to mix in some higher skilled stuff like rope climbs and double unders and handstand pushups. And you know, teams that have 50 good handstand push-ups would attack those movements early. Whereas teams that didn't have those movements, they could go to the wall balls and the box jumps and the 50 cal row and the kettlebell swings. They could attack those movements and usually they would run out of time before they even got to the high skill movements. So they never felt like, they still felt like they got a great workout, they pushed themselves and it was a chance to have the better athletes go to these higher skill things. Yeah, which they would end up finishing, and and then you're, uh, you know, the athletes who are struggling a little bit aren't just sitting around, you know, they're they're struggling, but they're still getting through the movement they set to, to tackle. Mm-hmm. And we and we've done this with, um, like we talked about having variations with like pull ups, chest to bar, bar muscle ups. We do this, in in our deadly duo. This most recent one is like, some of our athletes have pull ups, some of them don't. So like in the scale division the main movement was jumping pull-ups. It was 40 jumping pull-ups in the chipper, but we allowed any athletes that had chin over bar pull-ups to do 20 chin over bar pull-ups as a replacement for 40 pull-ups. We've done the same thing with like toes to bar instead of knees to chest. Could be 40 knees to chest for the scale division, but if there's anybody who's in scale that has toes to bar that wants to try to work through them, they can do 20 toes to bar for that same amount of reps. So little creative ways that you can do things because I think, you know, what we found is like we had this competition and people want to showcase what skills they have. And if there's someone who consistently can do toes a bar and pull-ups in a workout, they don't want to go into a competition, which is supposed to be one of the hardest days of the year, and then feel like they're going backwards. So I think think about these ways that you can continue to challenge your athletes, but again, make it accessible for the 95% because you know, those are the people that you really want to, to please and, and make excited to do it. Otherwise, you're just going to have 10 people in your in-house competitions every year. Yeah, and this is one thing not to be overlooked is allowing the partners to step in whenever. 
right? When you have a set amount of reps, like you have you have to do 10 reps for partner A, then partner B has to do 10 reps, like partner B might get stuck. Like, and just, just allowing the simple rule where divide the reps however you want, guys, it just changes everything. It's something we do in all of our partner wads in our classes, and I think we take for granted because it does make the partner wad that much more fun that you're not just watching the other person sit there and struggle. Definitely. Um, I think that's it. So hopefully your next in-house competition goes well. If there's anything that we missed or anything you guys have questions on, feel free to reach out, Andrew or Tony at CrossFitPalmBeach.com. Talk to you soon. Hey guys, it's Andrew again. I just want to remind you that if you haven't yet downloaded our staff playbook that we released last week, if you're in the process of creating your own staff playbook or you haven't even considered it yet, um, or you just need to update your existing one, I would highly recommend downloading our staff playbook that we just released for free last week. It's an 80 plus page blueprint of how we run CrossFit Palm Beach from A to Z. So go ahead to sevenfigurebox.com slash staff playbook to download your copy today.